chapter 1, verse 1, turning over a new page, a new scroll in the book of, with the book of Devarim, fifth book of the Torah. Eile hadvarim, these are the words. So in, in um, Jewish tradition, this book is called Devarim, literally means words, and most simply that's because this is how the Parsha starts off, the book starts off with this word Devarim. Davar is a word, Devarim, words or things. And also this Parsha is called Dvarim. So the book is called Dvarim and the Parsha is called Dvarim. So these are the, the words that Moshe spoke to all of Israel. Now, seems like to be an extra word. Why not just say to Israel? Why does it say to all of Israel? And Rashi will tell us, I'm going to jump to that Rashi, that if he would only had rebuked some of the Jewish people, then the ones that were not there would have said, eh, if I was there when Moshe was, was rebuking, I would have answered this and I would have answered that. If I was there, you know. So Moshe is make, make sure to have all the Jewish people there. If you have anything to say, you can respond over here. He gathers them all. Whoever has a response, let them respond. And this way they realize they don't have a response and they realize they have to take this rebuke seriously. So the purpose of the rebuke is that it should have an effect. So he does it in a way that will be most effective. But you see here from that Rashi that, you know, the human nature, which is always to, you know, find an excuse and be defensive. So these are the words that Moshe says to the Jewish people, all the Jewish people. The Aver Hayardain, where is this happening? It's happening at the other side of the Jordan what is now current day Jordan. I want to go to the first Rashi. First Rashi tells us, these are going to be words of rebuke. Moshe is now going to enumerate all of the places along the, along the road that they, the Jewish people, angered God. They messed up. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks in a kind of code, and he only hints to the uh, sins of the Jewish people. Why? Because of the dignity and respect of the Jewish people. So this is also an extremely important lesson, and it's the first Rashi. I should have done this one first, because we've seen in the past that each of the books of the Torah starts off with a Rashi that is very positive. Uh, the first Rashi talks about why the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. Um, the, the first Rashi of the book of, of Exodus talks about the, how God cherishes the Jewish people and counts them and so on and so forth. And in this book as well, on the fifth book, you see the first Rashi. So we talked about it once and saying, you know, what's the, what is the message of the Torah? You know, if you had to do it, you're an elevator. The quick elevator pitch of the Torah, if you looked at the first Rashi of every book, you're going to find something affectionate, something uplifting, something empowering. And here we have that even when Moshe has to rebuke the Jewish people, how does he do it? He does it in a way of euphemism. He doesn't blast them, so to speak, but rather he alludes to them. By mentioning the names of the places, why? Out of respect for Israel, because of the dignity, the kavod, 
of the Jewish people. So even in their time of rebuke, he is speaking to them with great, great kavod, honor. Bamidbar. Okay, so now we have the place. We're going very slowly with this verse. There's a lot to unpack. The Ever Hayardain. We already said where this is happening. It's happening on the other side of the Jordan. Now it's going to seem like the Torah is, Moshe is giving, uh, or the Torah is giving, the Torah is giving more coordinates for where this happened. And Rashi will tell us, no, don't be fooled by what it appears. This is not coordinates because, as he says, the first coordinate is Bamidbar in the desert. Oh, wait a second. Moshe Rabbeinu was not now in the desert. The Jewish people were not in the desert anymore. They're out of the desert. Where are they? They're already up in Jordan, ready to cross over the river into the land of Israel. They're not in the desert. So we're no longer in the desert. Why does it say Bamidbar? Beautiful. The Torah is giving us a hint that we're not giving coordinates over here. This is not happening in the desert. He's talking about things that happen in the desert. In other words, Moshe is going to say things to the Jewish people about what happened in the desert. Not that they're now in the desert. And, and that gives us the clue that the rest of these coordinates, quote unquote, are not coordinates, but they are hinting to mistakes that the Jewish people made, as Rashi will tell us. So let's look at Rashi straight off the bat. So, so Bamidbar in the desert... Rashi says, they were not in the desert. They were in Arvot Moab, the plains of Moab. So what does it mean by Midbar? Things that the Jewish people angered God in the desert. As it said, when the Jewish people would complain, they would say, if only we had died by the hand of God in the desert. Bar, I'm sorry, in, in Egypt. While we were in the desert, they said, oh, if we only we had died in Egypt, then you wouldn't have taken us out to this desert. The next thing the Torah says is Barava in the plain. What does that mean? It means regarding the plain, for they had sinned, sinned with the worship of Baal Peor, the idol, in Arvot Moab. Opposite the Red Sea, or Sea of Reeds, what does that mean? Because they rebelled against God at the Red Sea when they came to the Red Sea, and they said, Oi, if only there were graves in Egypt, we would have rather stayed there than all dying in, in the, here at the hands of Egypt. And the same thing when they left the sea, after the crossing of the sea, they also rebelled against God. The next coordinate is these places, Paran, Tofel, and Lavan. So Paran, we'll see, is a place. But Tofel and Lavan, Rashi says, quoting Rabbi Yochanan, he says, we reviewed the entire Bible, we reviewed the entire Torah, and we did not find a place with this name Tofel and Lavan. There's no such place. Tofel and Lavan. Rather, here is a real, it's a real euphemism. And what he's, he's, what he's doing is rebuking the people for, for what they, taflu. So the word tofel comes from the word taflu and comes from the word foolishness. So tfelut is foolishness, foolish things that they said about the man which was white. So tofel lavan is one thing. It's not a place. It's tofel lavan. It's saying tofel, foolishness, about this thing that was Lavan, that was white, namely the mana. What did they say about the, the man? They were complaining about the mana. And then when it says Paran, Paran refers to the sin of the spies because it was the sin of the spies that happened in Paran. Chatzirot, what's Chatzirot? That's the story with Korach. 
And the Zahav, the last thing, Zahav is gold. And literally, the Zahav means Dai Zahav, like enough, enough gold. And this was a rebuke for the golden calf, which was made because they had too much gold. They had so much gold. And what did they do with it? They ended up using it for idolatry. Verse 2, this was 11 days from Horeb by way of Mount Seir until Kadesh Barnea. What is, what is God saying over here with this, with this verse? Rashi tells us that he's, he's telling them they could have gotten into the land of Israel so quickly. It was only an 11-day journey. And they, in fact, as Rashi says, God was going to make it even quicker that in just in three days they were able to get there. But because of the sin of the spies, they ended up being there for 40 years. Verse 3, and it was in the 40th year. So now, now the Torah is giving us when this happened. It happened in the 40th year after leaving Egypt. In the 11th month, on the first of the month. Which month is that? That's the month of Adar. Adar is the month before the month of Pesach. So it's like a month and a half before Pesach is the first of Adar. And this is seven days before Moshe is going to pass away. So Moshe passed away on the 7th of Adar, which is one week before Pesach, uh, before Purim. And um, seven days before his passing is when this big speech occurs. So it's in the, it's in the 11th month, the first of the month. Moshe speaks to the children of Israel, everything that God had commanded him. Now here we have a very interesting Rashi. Rashi says, that this tells us by giving wise wise Torah giving us the exact day when this happened to teach us that Moshe rebuked them only samuch limita when he was soon going to pass away and he learned this from Jacob you know he could have rebuked them much earlier why did he wait until this point he learned this from Jacob Jacob did not rebuke his children until Samuch Limita, until right before his passing. Why did he do this? Jacob said, Reuven, Bini, Reuven, my son, I'm going to tell you why I haven't rebuked you all of these years for your sin that you did many years ago. Why? I don't want you to leave me, to abandon me, and go and attach yourself to my brother Esav. So, this first explanation that Rashi is giving is um, the reason the reason that Yaakov, at least, the reason that Yaakov pushes it off till later, he doesn't want to alienate his son because of the risk that Reuven's reaction to the rebuke could be, well, if I'm if if you don't like me, and you think I'm I'm, I'm not good enough, then. Maybe I'll try something else. Maybe I go to Asov. Maybe things are a little easier over there and uh, not so hard to measure up. So in order to prevent that from possibly happening, he says, you know what? Let me wait till, let me push it off till just before my passing. There's a lot going on over here. To be honest, uh, I think it requires more study. Let's, let's continue with Rashi. Maybe it'll become clearer. For there are four reasons. Um, Rashi will only cite two of them, but he'll give two two reasons why one should not rebuke a person other than just before one's passing. 
Number one, so he doesn't have to rebuke him and rebuke him again. Because if he rebukes him earlier, there's a risk he'll rebuke him again and again. Like this, it's a one-time deal. He got the message and it's done. And the second explanation is not to cause his friend to feel ashamed when he sees him. Once he rebukes him, every time he sees him, he's going to feel badly about that thing that he rebuked him about. Whereas if he rebukes him just before his passing, it's over, it's done. He doesn't have to face the rebuker again. As it says in Sifri. So that's very interesting. Um, you know, because Rashi gives us a reason for for uh, Yaakov not rebuking Ruvain, his son, and that, that he would go off to Esau. But these are two other reasons that don't relate to what, uh, what Rashi initially says. So he's giving you different reasons that might be applicable uh, for Moshe Rabbeinu. V'chein Yehoshua, we also find with Yehoshua, with Joshua, that he only rebuked the Jewish people just before he died. Shmuel, and the same with, with the great prophet Samuel, and the same with David, who rebuked his son Shlomo, King Solomon, his son, just before his passing. So we see this with Yaakov, starts with Yaakov, Moshe, Yoshua, Samuel, and King David. Rashi lists five of our great leaders that postponed the rebuke of their children or flock to just before their death. And we have three reasons that Rashi suggests. One, that rebuking earlier may cause the rebuked to leave the fold. Number two, that you shouldn't have to rebuke them and rebuke them again. It's a one and done. And number three, because once you rebuke them, there's a little bit of embarrassment and shame. And so best to do it just before passing. I um, just want to jump to one more thing since we're running out of time. And that's verse five, which says that on that side of the Jordan, the land of Moab, Moshe commenced and explained this law saying, here Rashi says something very interesting, that what does it mean by explain this law? Rashi says that he explained it to them in 70 languages. Moshe is the original translator of the Torah, to 70 languages. Why is this important? So I'll leave you with the idea from the Rebbe. Why was it important for Moshe Rabbeinu to translate the Torah into 70 languages? At that time, the Jewish people all knew Hebrew. Lashona Kodesh, the holy tongue. There was no need for it to be translated into 70 languages. So some of the commentaries say, well, you know, he foresaw that down the line, the Jewish people would, would not all know how to read Hebrew. So he, he translated it to English, to, to various languages. The Rebbe has a beautiful interpretation. He says that Moshe, along those lines, that Moshe foresaw. In other words, the question that the Rebbe asks is, why is it important for Moshe to translate it here at this point? If at one point it becomes needed, a translation becomes needed, so let it be translated later on. I mean, it's it's not that uh, it's, it's been done. I don't think he translated it to English, but somebody translated it to English. So why did Moshe have to do it? Why couldn't it have been done later? And the answer the Rebbe gives is because Moshe wanted to, um, wanted to, was saying something very powerful and 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 uh, and creating something very powerful. In other words, 
one could argue and say, well, if I'm not studying Torah in the original Hebrew, in the language of God, that God spoke it, is that really considered Torah study? Am I really connecting with God through that study if I'm reading it in English or Spanish or Portuguese? It's not the language of God. It's not the words of God. So all of the, the holiness that we say comes along with the study of Torah that has to be done in a certain way. Uh, you have to do it in a respectful way. And it cannot be, you can't speak words of Torah in an unclean in place, like a bathroom or something like that. You have to be dressed properly. Maybe that only applies to reading it in the original, in the language of God. So by, by Moshe teaching the Torah in the 70 languages, it's not just a utilitarian thing. Oh, now we can read it in the other languages. Other people could have done that. Yes, Moshe probably was the best translator ever, but other people could have translated the Torah as well. The reason it's important that Moshe does it, Moshe with, with his power as the original lawgiver, when he translates it to English, what he's doing is he is creating the phenomenon uh, that when we read the Torah in any language, or just in, right now we're studying Torah in English, that has um, a holiness to it. We're, we're engaged in a holy endeavor and connecting with God through the words of the Torah, even though it's not in its original Hebrew. So Moshe is kind of drawing down, so to speak. He's extending the holiness of the Torah into a further place, the languages uh, that are not uh, Hebrew. Right, the language of Hebrew is itself holy, and so the Torah in 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 Hebrew is kind of a, a given. Yes, the Torah would be that that the language of Hebrew would be a receptacle container for the holiness of the Torah. But what Moshe is doing is extending that holiness into the uh, languages where where it's not self understood that the Torah could could be present there. So another gift of Moshe before he passes away. To all of us. So I'll stop there. A lot of information and open it up to questions and comments from our great listenership. Bruce, go ahead. So um, Moses wrote, I guess, 13 Torah scrolls right before he died. And if he translated it into 70 languages, I mean, did he? Is that a miraculous thing that happened? Because did he speak English? Was he aware of English at the time, et cetera? So 70 languages, I, I wouldn't assume includes English per se. I think it was the 70 languages that were, or the 70 main languages. So we talk about when, you know, the generation of the dispersion, right? After the story of Noah, where they try to build the tower and so forth. So in that case, what happened was, in that story, what happened was that God, you know, has them all speaking different languages. And there it sp speaks about 70 languages. Presumably, even from that point, there were more languages that developed, that branched off from these different languages. And English, I would say, is a descendant from one of those 70 languages. So he, he translated into those mother languages, so to speak, just as we have this idea of the 70 nations, even though there's much more nations, we, we still talk about the world as made up of 70 nations and the Jewish people, because those are the mother nations from which all descend. So presumably, yes, he knew all those 70 languages. And we find a precedent for that with Yosef, that Joseph spoke all the 70 languages of that time and the whole story with Paro, where Paro, you know, he outdid Paro because he also spoke, spoke Hebrew, but Paro himself knew 70 languages and um, so did Yosef. So yes, I would say Moshe knew all the 70 languages.
great, great uh, question. Anybody else? Well, I just had a thought about uh, the rebuking of uh, someone uh, waiting till death or just well, yeah. shortly before death. And I can understand the point that you'd have to see the person again and it would be uncomfortable. But it seems to me there might be another point that if you did this earlier, a person would have a chance to maybe apologize and maybe make amends and learn from that. But somehow that's discounted, that it's not seen as an important excellent excellent question bill um yes so the rebbe asks on this on this rashi and he says hold on a second we do find that moshe rebuked the jewish people throughout the you know throughout the years in the desert this is not the first time he rebuked them and what the rebbe explains is that yes in the moment when something happens moshe rebukes them and it's called la frushime sura that if you see somebody doing something wrong you see somebody putting his hand in the fire you tell them, take your hand out of the fire. That's very dangerous. Or in the same thing on the spiritual thing. You see somebody doing something wrong. You've got to help them get out of the street. You don't wait till later when it's too late. So what Rashi is speaking out here is a certain type of rebuke, not necessarily the rebuke like what you're talking about, Bill, is an excellent point. You know, if somebody's something personal and you want to you want to clear the air, you want to let people know where, where, the, where things are at so that they can make amends and ultimately create peace. Yes. I don't think Rashi is excluding that type of rebuke because as you said, you know, that needs to be done right away. As, as the Rebbe points out, there's certain types of rebuke that Moshe does do. But the second point I would say is that his rebuke here is not personal. It's, you know, it's not about, you know, what you did to me, right? This is about what they did to God. And it's really their lesson for the future. And between me and you, um, this is not even what they did. This is what their forefathers did. This, this is not the people who, who sinned in all of this. They were just kids. Hey, we were just kids at the time. Um, so it's really a rebuke of, you know, the point is you guys are going into the land of Israel. And this is kind of the pep talk and the reminder of mistakes that were made in the past and, um, and making sure that those don't happen in the future. But it's an excellent point. It, 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 we shouldn't take it too broadly to say you should never rebuke your fellow until one is on one's deathbed. That's an excellent point. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, like you said, a motivational thing. It's like, okay, now let's keep, let's, let's review, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just here's where we got our mind a little off and we, and we corrected that and we're doing great. So let's just not go there again. You know, <laughs> You, you know, Sean, you made me think that maybe Moshe had a PowerPoint and he was like, okay. No, yeah, no, exactly. No, click. <laughs> Just to summarize, you know. <laughs> That's good. Bruce. Why do you think we use the ancient Greek names for the books instead of traditionally just using the Hebrew names? It's to make us sound more sophisticated. When you have any time you use a multi-syllable word, more than three syllables right away, you like you shoot up in stature. Um, just kidding. So, you know, I think it's just became colloquially people tried to say things in English because, you know, we've been living in America for a long time. But, you know, in, in uh, you know, I would say in the Orthodox world, particularly, um, you know, when I was growing up, 
we did not refer to Genesis as Genesis. We referred to it as Bereshus. Bereshus, Shemos, Bayikra, Bamidra, everything was, was in fact in Hebrew. But it became, it's, you know, it's like tefillin. People don't know what tefillin are, so you tell them in English, it's phylacteries. And they, they don't know what phylacteries is either, right? So today, unfortunately, even if you're trying to be more, uh, making it more accessible by saying Deuteronomy, the average person is not going to know what Deuteronomy is. Um, but it just kind of became like a tradition. I guess at some point people did know what Deuteronomy was, but didn't know what Devarim was. And uh, we kind of stuck with that. But it's a good point. It, 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 it's not, uh, there's, no, there's no holiness to that tradition. It's just a sociological phenomenon. Wasn't the Torah just one writing? What do you mean? Did what does the Torah have the name of the books in it, or is it no, something we no, came no, up? That, that itself is a convention. Yeah. 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 Just, sorry, it's no. interesting to me, just historically, that in fact they do match up, and um, you know that they're accurate. They are accurate. The the yeah the 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 one that that's. If, I can't remember if it's accurate is, is Exodus because it, in the, in the talk, I mean, it does start off with the Exodus, but you know, is that the book you know, Leviticus we do have in, in Hebrew, it's called the Torah that that book is called the book of the Kohanim. So Leviticus is kind of accurate because the book of the Levites Genesis obviously is accurate. That's voracious. It's a translation of voracious numbers, even though we call that book Bamidbar, which means in the desert, but it is referred to in our tradition as the book of numbers, Chumash HaPudim. And so Exodus is the only one I could think of that, you know, in our tradition, it's just called names. Shemos means names, because that's how it starts off, the names of the Jewish people, of the tribes, and, and the 70 that went down to Egypt. Um, but it's called Exodus. So I'll just, we're running late, so I'll just end off with, um, you know, kind of a takeaway. We're in the three weeks, and this is a time of rebuke. Right, we're we're commemorating the rebuke, so to speak, that we got thousands of years ago in this time with the destruction of our temples, and so it's a time of rebuke. So, we, what do we get from Rashi during this time? That even in a time of rebuke of the Jewish people, there is the respect of the Jewish people. That it's said in a euphemistic way. In other words, it's a reminder, right? Because you could re take rebuke in the wrong way. You could take it as a distancing that God is. Is, is distancing himself from us. And yes, externally, that is what happened. We're exiled from the land. The temple is taken away from us. But as Rashi tells us, there is the honor of the Jewish people. The respect of the Jewish people is intact. And, and that helps us to remind us that the, the act, this act of exile, this act of destruction is ultimately when you peel back the layers is not about distancing us, but in fact is a step on a way to bringing us closer it is part of the level, a deeper connection to God, which we will merit to very soon. Be'ezrat Hashem, the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the third temple. speedily in our days. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to start off the new book. And we'll hope to see you again tomorrow. Same time, same place. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi.